0: book two chapter nine of lady bridget in the never-never land by rosa prayard this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by Kirsty. at last lady bridget heard the unmistakable sound of cattle in the distance the low multitudinous roar of lowing beasts and tramping hoofs and the reverberating crack of stock-whips it came from the Gidea scrub she knew that they had been mustering scrubbers otherwise wild cattle from the broken country at the foot of Mungar range she left the hammock and went again to the veranda railing looking along the side path from the chinaman's garden she saw that mrs hensor and her boy the yellow-headed urchin of about six were hastening towards the bachelor's quarters the woman carried a basket of vegetables the boy hugged a big pawpaw fruit which he held up proudly as his mother responded in her free-and-easy rather sulky fashion to lady bridget's stiff nod it's for the house cried the child fo wang said i was to bring it up lady bridget made a wry face she did not like pawpaws very well tommy and if you're good you can have what's left to-morrow that's all right responded tommy in bush formula have you seen anything of your master or the postman asked lady bridget of mrs Hensor. i believe mr mckeith is coming on ahead with harry the blower said mrs Hensor. look sharp tommy the cattle will be at the yard directly and i've got my dinner to cook for the whole lot of them seeing that some visitors aren't good enough for the house the woman pointed her last sentence by a malicious glance at the mistress of Mungar. i suppose that is what your master keeps you here for-to cook for the visitors at the quarters mrs hensor said lady bridget with incisive sweetness mrs hensor flushed scarlet but she checked an impudent reply pulling tommy angrily along she hurried up to the four-roomed zinc-roofed humpy and its lean-to kitchen protected by a bow-shade which lay between the head-station and the gully with the stockyard close to it and which constituted her domain it annoyed mrs henser to hear mckeith called her master she always spoke of her late husband as having been the boss-maid on that to him fatal exploring expedition also she resented having all the bachelors dumped down as she phrased it on her while the ladyship's swell staff was spared the trouble at present the bachelor's quarters was fairly full mr ninnis storekeeper and overseer in the owner's absence abode there permanently and just now there was Act duppo the horse-breaker and a young man from breezer downs a combined cattle and sheep station about fifty miles distant who had come to help in the mustering and to collect any beasts strayed from the breezer downs herd. The gully crossing lay below the boulders of rock at the head of the lagoon presently two horsemen appeared on the rise one was mckeith the other Harry the mailman otherwise the blower a foxy browny-red little man on a raw-boned chestnut carrying his mail-bag strapped in front and at the side of his saddle lady bridget supposed they had met at the turn-off track just above the crossing mckeith was carrying a leather mail-bag from which he appeared to have extracted a bundle of letters with one hand he held his bridle and coiled stock-whip in the other he was listening to the mailman who seemed to be talking animatedly as they neared the house he gave the usual coo that set all the dogs barking and put the chinaman cook and black boys on the alert the riders passed by the end of the veranda where lady bridget stood mckeith looked up at her he seemed preoccupied and angry and merely nodded to his wife but did not take off his hat as he had done in earlier days and somehow to-day she noticed the omission. "'All right, eh, Betty? he called out casually. "'Here's your mail. I've taken out mine.' And he pitched the leather bag, with the string cut and the official red seal broken, on to the veranda at her feet. "'I say, you might bring the whisky out to the back veranda. I dare say you could do with a nip, eh, Harry?' "'That I can, Mr. McKeith, riding along these plains is dry work. Good day, ladyship.' "'I'm a bit behind time, but I lost an hour looking for a hole "'to fill my water-bag at, and then I could not drink out of it, "'for a damned old pleuro bullock had got there first and died in it. "'My word, boss, you'll be in a fix if it don't rain before long.' "'But Keith made an angry gesture. "'He spoke sharply to the horses. "'The two men rode round the kitchen wing and dismounted at the paling fence, "'which made the fourth side of the little square. "'The back veranda of the new house, with steps ascending to it, in the middle.' the old humpy with its veranda along one side the kitchen and store building along the other and a rough slab and bark outhouse beyond it native cucumber vines and other creepers partially closed in the older verandas in the centre of the square was a small flower bed with a flowering shrub in the middle lady bridget brought the whisky decanter from the dining-room to the back veranda and mckeith mounted the steps the mailman remaining beside them a canvas water-bag oozing moisture hung from the rafters and there were tumblers on a table beneath it. McKeith took the decanter from his wife's hand, too preoccupied, it seemed, even to notice the little satirical smile on her lips. She was thinking how funny it seemed that she should be playing herbe to Harry the blower. She soon realised, however, that serious things had happened. As McKeith mixed a liberal allowance of whisky with water from the water bag and handed it to the mailman, he asked curtly, "'This isn't one of your blowing yarns, Harry. You're positive about the fact.' Saw the thing with my own eyes, boss, as fine a team as ever I'd wished to own, lying with their throats cut and the trees black with crows all round. There was the drayload load all turned over and two cases prized open. I bet that the rum kegs and spirits that couldn't be carried off are buried in some handy dry water hole close by. I saw two or three empty brandy bottles with the heads of em smashed to show that the rascals had wet the wool before starting off. McKeiths cursed in his throat. No sign of my men. "'Scooted clean out of the scenery, the whole lot. "'I reckon that's what they shook hands on with the union chaps, "'and that the natural consequences of absorbing your grog "'will be another woolshed or two burned down before long. "'Here's your health, boss, and the ladyships.' "'And the mailman gulped down his nobbler "'and turned to remount the lean chestnut "'which was standing hitched to the palings, observing cheerfully. "'Well, so long, sir. Good day, ma'am. "'This sort of argufying ain't going to carry my bags along the river.' "'Go up to the quarters and ask Mrs. Henser for a feed,' called McKeith. "'And look here, Harry, you can tell them at the Mile Creek outstation as you go by "'to have two good horses ready in the yard for me. "'I'm off to Borough to put the police on to those devils straight away. "'All right, boss. "'You'll find it will take some tall calculating though. "'Them unionists are getting too strong for the police to tackle. "'Windyot up at Breezer Downs is in a mortal funk "'and sending word everywhere for a squad of specials to protect his shed "'It seems.' said Lady Biddy to her husband, when the mailman had gone, that there might be some use after all for Luke Tallant's maxims. It seems that Jim steadbolt has been taking his revenge, he answered, and that I must be in the saddle in an hour's time. Mix me a drink, Biddy, and order in some grub while I go and have a bath. He looked as if he needed one. The dust of the drafting camp was caked upon his face and clothes. His was the appearance of a man who had been riding hard after stock and sleeping, between his blankets only under the stars lady bridget mixed him his drink and went to see cheng sing in the kitchen when she came back colin was in the front veranda he had tumbled the rest of the letters and papers out of the mailbag and was hastily and eagerly scanning the latest leichardt's town chronicle any news colin i don't know i was looking to see if the government were going to act against the strikers i see they're sending troops and is luke tallant coming at the head of them in official uniform to read the riot act if there is a riot act in Australia, I'd like to see Luke maintaining the supremacy of the British Crown on the Lura. He looked up at her in vague rebuke of her levity, and there was suppressed tenderness in his eyes, notwithstanding his preoccupation with his own troubles. No no, but there's something in the paper about Lady Tallant being ill and having an operation. Poor chap, he wouldn't have been bothering much about strikes in the Never Never and the supremacy of the British Crown, any more than I should in similar circumstances. Well there i must go and bogey note bogey in black's language bathe out of doors End note. sudden compunction overswept bridget oh colin you would care really even though they had cut the throats of your four best dray horses but he had disappeared into a little veranda room against which a corrugated iron tank backed conveniently and in a minute she heard the splash of water she picked up the paper and looked at the english intelligence before examining her own letters it was quite true there was a paragraph stating that lady talon's health had not improved since her arrival in england and hinting at the likelihood of an operation being advisable bridget reflected however that sir luke would probably have received a cablegram by this time one way or other which would have put him out of suspense and presumably there had been no later bad news a letter from molly gaverick confirmed that item of the english intelligence rosamond Tallant's condition was certainly far from satisfactory molly however seemed much more taken up with the recent illness of eliza countess of gaverick than with that of lady Tallant. being a tactless and absolutely frank young person she had no scruple in proclaiming her hope that old eliza would make lord gaverick her heir this was the more likely wrote young lady gaverick because the old lady had lately quarrelled with her own relatives and never now asked any of her stuffy provincial cousins to share the dullness of castle gaverick and of the house in brook street if she did not leave her money to chris gaverick there was not conceivably any one else to whom she would leave it by the way molly continued as if it had been an afterthought old eliza is immensely interested in you and your cowboy husband ranch owner is what i suppose i ought to call him she asked mrs gildea so many questions about you both that joan read her your account of your honeymoon journey through the bush and all the rest of it how you can endure such a life is incomprehensible to me but aunt eliza says it shows you've got some grit in you and that evidently your husband has cured you of a lot of ridiculous nonsense i am quoting her so don't be offended and you needn't show this to nature's gentleman which is what aunt eliza calls him i can't help feeling though that it's rather a pity you didn't wait a bit before taking the irrevocable step i don't know whether you ever heard about mrs willoughby moore's death eleven months after their marriage no bridget had not heard molly gaverick was an uncertain correspondent and no doubt jane gildea and rosamond tallant if they had known of the event had thought it wiser in writing to her to suppress the news for a moment lady bridget sat meditating and all the blood seemed to rush from her brain to her heart she could almost hear her heart pounding then she went on again with lady gaverick's letter it was a motor accident nothing serious at the time but the baby was born prematurely and she lingered a week or two and then died i must do him the justice to say that he seemed to feel her death very much it looked as though after all the marriage had been quite a success her money gave him a lift and they were going out a good deal in the political set she left her quarter of a million to him absolutely i heard that some remote begalleys were going to contest the will but they found that they hadn't a leg to stand upon i wish now that we hadn't been so sniffy about w m as chris observed with unconscious cynicism there's a good deal of difference between a penniless adventurer and the possessor of a quarter of a million unattached men with money can be so useful as soon as rosamond tallon gets better if she does i'll make her ask him to meet us I know he used to be a great friend of Luke's. End of Book Two, Chapter Nine